Glad you're here. We're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Let's start off with a word of prayer tonight. Dear Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for the hope that we have in a risen Savior. We're thankful for an anchor that holds tonight. We're thankful for the truth of your word. And I pray that tonight as we begin to study your word, uh, that you would speak to us, that you would lead us, uh, that you would bless us in the study of your word, and that we would know more about who you are at the end of this time together tonight than we did when it started. Lord, I come and I pray uh, for rain tonight. We come and we see the, the sky outside, and we you know that you tell us and you train us and you teach us to come to you as the good provider of all things. And so we come and we pray for rain for, for our land tonight uh, as a gracious reminder of who you are and that you are our provider. Lord, I pray for our, our groups that are learning tonight, the other discipleship group classes, our kids' classes, our, our youth classes, and then this class as well, that you would speak and that it would not be normal, but be again the supernatural truth of God that we take hold of tonight. Well, Lord, we tell you we love you, and we praise you, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, tonight we're going to continue our study of the grand scheme of things. Tonight our lesson is entitled, The Lord Provides, The Lord Provides. We're continuing in the account of Moses, really we're moving along now in the Exodus account. If you want to go read the verses that match our lesson tonight, it's a pretty good chunk of verses, not as big as, as some of the past sections have been. It's Exodus chapter 16 all the way through chapter 17, verse 7. Exodus chapter 16, the start of the chapter, through Exodus chapter 17, verse 7. That's the entirety of the verses uh, that our, our lesson's built on tonight. We're not going to look at all of those. Uh, we're going to pull some verses out of that. Our key point tonight is this. God wants us to trust him for our provision. And when we do, he provides abundantly. That's the key point. Listen to that again. God desires, God wants us to trust him for our provision. And when we do, he provides abundantly. The question is this, and it's really a pretty important question. The question is, if we can trust God, what can we trust God for? If we can trust God, what can we trust him for? Really meaning this, if we can trust him with our eternity, our salvation, a huge thing, can we trust him with the smaller things? Does he want us to trust him with the smaller things? Does he care about our careers? Does he care about our daily life? Does he care about our home life? Is God concerned with such things? And so if we're going to trust him with the big things, can we, do we, should we trust him also with the small things? I think sometimes we get the idea God's concerned with salvation, uh, with, with heaven, with eternity, and these other things we're left to just figure out and see how we plow through life. Again, the question is, can we trust God with all things? Our first point, and we're going to move through several things, and I, I think maybe looking at these things from this set of verses, uh, we're, going to learn, we're going to learn about our God tonight. first point is this. In our verses, in this part of the Exodus account, we find a grumbling people, a grumbling people. Now, I want you to remember uh, the context of what's happening, what's going on here. God has heard the cries of his people. They are enslaved in Egypt. They're facing terrible hardship. God hears their cries, and he mightily moves to deliver them in mighty fashion. He calls Moses. He sends Moses. Uh, the plagues come there in Egypt. 
They are, they are chased out of Egypt. The Red Sea parts. Uh, the waters fall in and, and crush the army of Egypt. There is no doubt that God did that. There's no doubt that God is responsible for that. And so those things have happened. And then after that, there starts to be this cycle of grumbling, a cycle of grumbling. Now, when we hear that, it's not hard for us to think about because churches have those cycles too, a cycle of grumbling. The Hebrew word for grumbling actually means murmuring. Uh, it, it is a buzzing. Uh, really, it's a kind of a dull roar uh, of belly aching, and that's, that's what happens. Uh, they've seen these great things. God has moved. God has worked. And now God's people are murmuring. They're complaining. They're, they're grappling. Uh, and it's become a, a dull roar uh, throughout the people, throughout the nation. Um, read the account. They say, here we are out in the desert. And they grumble and they grumble. What are we going to eat? I don't know what we're going to eat. And they grumble and they grumble. And then they say, we don't like what we're eating we have plenty to eat, but we don't like what we're eating, and they, they grumble about that. Can we get some meat? All we have is this manna. Can we get some meat? They grumble about that. Uh, that what about water? Where are we going to get water? And they just grumble and grumble and grumble. Uh, we're all going to die. We had it better in Egypt. We never just left Egypt. And they grumble and they grumble and they grumble. Let me read you some verses. Exodus chapter 16, verse 2. The whole congregation, the gathering of the sons of Israel, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The whole congregation. Now, it's important, that word congregation. It wasn't just one. It's this big old group. They're grumbling in verse 2. Verse 3, the sons of Israel said to them, What, that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt? when we sat by pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, the issue here, here they are, they're grumbling. They've seen God work, and they're complaining over all these issues. Really, the issue here is a lack of trust in God. And you can say, well, they're just hungry. Well, they just don't know where they're going. Well, they've got hard things. Really, it boils down to a lack of trust in God. Look at chapter 16, verse 8. Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings with which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but are against the Lord. Moses points out here, you're you're complaining to Moses, you're complaining to Aaron, but really your gripes aren't against us. Your complaints aren't against us. We can't do anything. Uh, your gripe, your complaint is against God. And so here they are. They're a grumbling people. They're dissatisfied. They're upset. Uh, they're murmuring against, a, a, across the whole congregation, and they're taking it out on Moses and Aaron. All the complaints are aimed at them. Here's, here's my question with this, and I want you to think about that. What is wrong with people? What is wrong with people? Can you imagine if you actually saw the Red Sea stand up and you walk across on dry ground and here's Pharaoh's army and they are going to kill you, they're going to butcher you, and they are crushed under the Red Sea. If you actually saw that, 
It's three days before they start grumbling. Can you imagine that? What is wrong with people? Then you think, what would it take to be satisfied? What would it take? Evidently more than that. What would it take to say, you know what, I trust God. I've seen him do crazy things. I trust God. What would it take for people to trust God? I want, I want to point this out. I kind of pointed to it a second ago. Now, this is my observation. I want, to, I want to point this out. Notice how this movement is a movement of the group. And, I, and we start to see that pattern very early, and we're going to see it all the way through the account. It is a movement of the group. It's never just one person that's grumbling. It's one person that gets two people, and it's two people that get four people, and it's four people that become eight people. And they're able to stay and say the whole congregation, the whole assembly of the sons of Israel are grumbling. Here's what I think about this. I think good things happen in groups, and I think grumbling happens in groups. And I think if you get a positive swing, I think people buy into that. And they say, to it, God is faithful. And somebody else says, I know he's faithful. And somebody else says, I've seen his hand work. And there's a movement that way. And at the same time, grumbling has the same effect. Well, I don't know why God brought us out here. You know what? We had more food when we were back in Egypt. And it is this movement of the group that we see here. And, and so the, the group is dissatisfied. The group is grumbling against Moses and Aaron. So we see here, God has delivered. God has taken them out of Egypt. And yet we find a grumbling people. All right, the next thing we see, we see a gracious God. A gracious God. Now, I want you to watch this. They need bread. They need bread. They're hungry. Listen to chapter 16, verses 4, 5, and 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Now, I want you to think about that. There's not going to be some bread out here. There's not going to be a store that you can go to. God actually says, you're hungry, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the sons of Israel, at evening you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. All right, so here, here's the deal. They need bread. They're hungry. God says, I'm not just going to provide. I'm going to provide an abundance, and I'm going to rain it down upon you. Now, notice here, he says that he's going to give them some instructions. Get this much. On the sixth day, get twice that much. He says he's going to test them in that. And I think, sometimes we think, well, a test is bad. A test is negative. Well, the test is not necessarily just to see where they're at. It is to see if they will follow, to see where they need to go from there. And so I'm going to test them. I'm going to grow them in their obedience. And so they need bread. God provides the bread. I was looking at this this afternoon and making the notes, and somebody came in the office and said, that just shows you we should eat carbs first thing in the morning. We shouldn't write off carbs. God provides bread first thing in the morning. I, I'm going to say donuts or pancakes. All right, they need bread. There's bread. God rains it down on them. Then they need meat. We need some meat, all right? 16 verse 8. Moses said, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening. In the morning there's bread, in the evening there's meat. 
and the bread to the full in the morning. For the Lord hears your grumblings with which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. Again, they're hungry. They want meat. God says, in the evening, I will provide meat. Verse 12. God says, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. All right, so they need bread. God provides manna. They need meat. God provides quail. We're going to see they need water. Get to the 17th chapter. God provides water. Here's what we see in that. God is gracious to them. They are grumbling against him. They have a lack of trust and a lack of faith in him, and yet God is gracious to them. God delivers them from Egypt, doing a marvelous thing. They grumble, complain against him, and God is gracious to them. Here's the deal of all of that. He takes care of their needs. He takes care of their needs. Now, that's no small thing. I want us to think about that. Our great God takes care of the daily things takes care of the small things, takes care of the needed things. Now, I want you to listen to that. Yes, he's in salvation. Yes, he's provided a way of redemption in Christ. But our great God, marvelous God, also cares about the bread, also cares about the water, also cares about meat when you're hungry for meat. Our God, listen to me, he cares about the daily things. He cares about the small things. He cares about the needed things. All right, let's bring that forward. I think sometimes we we say, well, that's a long time ago. I don't know if he still works like that. Let's bring it forward. All right, in all things, we can trust God. He's in the big things. We also see in his word, he's in the daily things and the small things. Here's what I want to ask you tonight. Think about this. Here you sit and you say, I wonder if he's worried about our career our home life, our provision. I wonder if God knows the things I'm facing. I wonder if he knows the heartache that that we're having because of a situation. Let me ask you this. If Jesus would go to the cross of Calvary, listen, he had to humble himself. He had to take on the flesh of a human. He came as a human. He goes, he's tempted in every way as a person. He does not sin. In humility, he goes to the cross. He's beaten He takes on the wrath of God towards sin, poured out upon him. He dies on the cross for your death. He didn't do anything wrong. If Jesus would go to the cross of Calvary for you, what would he not do? And I started to think about that. That kind of puts it in perspective. Well, can we trust him in the small things? Listen, if he would do the big thing, if we could trust him in the cross, what would he not do? He doesn't say, I'm going to provide a way of redemption but I don't care about the daily life. I don't care about this thing. I don't care about this pressing need in your life. God is trustworthy in all things. That's what he's showing us. God is trustworthy in all things. All right, so there is a grumbling people, and then there is a gracious God. Chapter and part of a second chapter, that's what we see. There is a a grumbling, complaining people, and in spite of their grumbling, there is a gracious God. The next thing I want to look at, it's on your worksheet there. The next thing I want to look at, and it's important for us to to really think about as we we say, well, how are we going to apply this lesson tonight? The next thing is the idea of contentment, contentment. 
here's the basic problem. And I, I think, how can you see these tremendous things and forget so quickly? How can you be so thankless? And the basic thing is this. The basic problem is this. They are never satisfied. They are never content. They are never satisfied. They saw that God delivers. They saw God open the Red Sea. When there's no way, God makes a way. They saw manna rain down. We're hungry. Manna rains down. I don't know. I've heard that so many times you think, I don't know. That sounds kind of normal. They had manna in the morning. What if, what if in the morning um, you're in a desert and there's nothing to eat and there's been nothing to eat and if something doesn't happen, there's not going to be anything to eat and you got a long way to go, and you got things to do, and you're hungry, and what if you woke up, and I'm just putting it in our context, what if you woke up and the whole ground was covered in donuts? You walked out, and it's just it's glazed donuts as far as you can see, and it rained down donuts, and you picked up, so you know what, I love donuts, and I'll take these two, and I'm going to eat them. It's that. There's bread. It's rained down from heaven, and you know what they start to say? You know what? All we have is this bread. All we have is donuts. How many days can you have donuts? They start to complain about it. They are never content. It is never enough. Let me tell you, the trick of Satan and really the the plan of the world is to always entice us to never be content. And I want to tell you, you'll, you'll end up with a lot of problems and you'll end up with a lot of issues of anxiety and you'll start to feel depressed because you know what? I got that thing and it wasn't good enough and I needed another thing All of those things go back to the issue of contentment. It's never enough. I have a lot of money. I need more. I have a retirement account. It's not big enough. I have a nice drivable car. It's not as good as the neighbor's. And you start to buy into this thing that you're never going to be satisfied, and you always want something else, and it'll absolutely drive you crazy. Their issue was it's never enough. We got manna in the morning. We got quail in the evening. We got water. God is with us. He delivered us from our enemy and we're never satisfied. Notice this. Notice it doesn't take very long for that to happen. And I think maybe that's human instinct, but it doesn't take very long for that to happen. Isn't it wild how quickly we forget how bad the bad was? And I, I, just, I just think, man, that's a weird thing. How quickly we forget how bad the bad was. I think I'm going to tell you something, and maybe you'll sit there and hear this and think, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You ever get in a situation, and it's terrible. And I don't know, it may be financial, maybe in your relationship, maybe a diagnosis, and it is a terrible situation. It's terrible, and it's gut-wrenching. And you're sitting there going, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I don't know what the next step's going to be. It doesn't look like there's a good answer, and it's bad. And it's bad. And, I, and you pick the situation, and you find yourself in that situation, and most of the time when we go through that, the last thing it does is it drives us to God. And you know what? We looked here, and we went there, we went there, and we couldn't find any answers, but it finally pushed us to God. And you come, and you have no answer outside of God, and you start to pray, God, if you'll, if you'll do this, God, I need this, and God, if you'll just help us here, And you seek God and you pray, and then he graciously answers. And you can go down the deal and thought, you know what, I thought that was the end of the line, and God graciously answered. And I thought we weren't going to make it, and God graciously answers. 
and how many days before you just move on? And I, I sometimes I write down what I'm praying for, and I go back and look and go, oh, yeah, I thought the world was going to end. Oh, yeah, I thought that was the end of the line. And you know what? It doesn't take a couple of days, and you forget how bad the bad was. They forget how bad the bad was, and it doesn't take very long. Listen to 16.3 again. The sons of Israel said to them, to Moses and to Aaron, what, that we would have died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They say it's better in Egypt, that we'd have just stayed there. If God had just killed us there, it would have been better than this. Do you remember Egypt? Go back and read the account. They're being oppressed. They're crying out. They're being worked to death. When it's bad, Pharaoh ups the workload. It is terrible. They're, they're, they're crying out. And they say, well, oh, it was better. We had lots of food to eat. You know why you had lots of food? You were going to make bricks the next day, and you were going to stack bricks the whole next afternoon. You were going to work in the heat. They forget how bad the bad was. What a crazy thing how fast we forget how bad the bad is. In the New Testament, and it's a, it's a great chapter, it's a great set of verses, Paul says the secret and I, I believe it, the secret is learning contentment. And so here you are, and I don't care what age you are, you may be older in age, you may be younger in age. Paul says the secret, not a magic formula, not a magic prayer, not a way to get everything you ever wanted, the secret is in learning contentment. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says in rich times, got everything, he's learned to be content. In poor times, got nothing. He says in lack, which means you're doing without, he's learned to be content. Hard times, good times, he says he's learned to be content in all things, to be content and satisfied in Christ. Think about that. Paul says the secret to having peace, to having joy, is learning to be content with what you have. You know what? We don't have a lot right now. You know what? That's fine. I know who my Savior is. I know what my future, my eternity is set in. In Christ, you know what? We've got everything we've ever needed and everything's provided for. You know what? My hope wasn't in that anyway. My hope is in Christ alone. Paul says the secret's learning to be content. And then there's this crazy verse. I always think about this. There's a lot of verses we pull out of context. This verse may be the most pulled out of context of any verse we have. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's, that's the verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we start to think, you know what that verse is talking about, scoring a touchdown. I remember painting that on my shoes. Philippians 4.13, I may step on your hand and break your finger, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or passing a test. I didn't go to class twice this week, hadn't studied in two months. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The answer is going to be B. I can pass this test. Getting a promotion. I watch folks, you know what? I'm going to get a promotion. I've claimed that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to pass folks that are way more qualified because of this verse. You know what? I'm going to attack a grizzly bear. Some folks are that, that resolute. I'm going to go out, and just because I can, I'm going to jump on a grizzly bear, and when I punch him in his big old snout, I'm going to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Go back tonight 
and read the section of verses. That verse isn't talking about anything but being content. Paul says when it's good, when it's bad, you've got to learn to be content. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you have nothing, you can be happy in Christ. If you have everything, you can be happy in Christ. That's what the verse is saying. Their whole issue is they're never satisfied. It's never enough. Paul tells us in the New Testament, in Christ, we can be content in all things. That is the secret. All right, the last part. We see this grumbling people. We see a gracious God. And then we see this this section on contentment. All right, the last part is rest in the Lord. There's truth, rest in the Lord. Here's something weird. In these events, all right, you're reading through them. You're reading what has happened. God is teaching you in that. In these events, God institutes the Sabbath. God implements the observance of the Sabbath day into these events. And what that means is in the course of their daily lives, they're going to learn about and they're going to observe the Sabbath in the course of their daily lives. You know what? It's Tuesday. We're already thinking about the Sabbath. You know what? It's the end of the week. We're thinking about and observing the Sabbath. It's the start of the week. It's fresh on our mind, the Sabbath. It's put into their daily life. The word he in, in the Hebrew, Sabbath, Sabbat, means rest or intermission. It comes, listen to this, from the creation account. Go all the way back. God tells us this. On the seventh day, God rested. He ceased. He rested. That's where this comes from. Now, let me tell you something right there. Meaning, those have to be literal days. He doesn't say, here's a a symbolic thing, but I want you to take a literal application of it. Meaning, those must be literal days. Meaning, it is a literal account. God says, this is how I created. And he says, you know what? When I'm implementing this Sabbath day, because I rested on the seventh day, you're going to rest as well. So on the seventh day, it is ingrained in their daily practice to take the Sabbath rest. It means this. They learn this. We rest and we trust God to provide. That's what the Sabbath means. We're going to rest and we're going to trust God to provide. Let me read Exodus chapter 16. Verses 22 through verse 30. Now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, this is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath, a set-aside day to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered. And it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. It came about on the seventh that some of the people went out together, but they found none. I think I know people like that. You say, there's not going to be any out there. And they go out there and say, well, I'll see if there's some out there. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place 
on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the, the account says this, on the sixth day, they're going to get twice as much as they would normally get. It will be enough for the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, they weren't going to find him. They couldn't get any. They couldn't get more than enough on the sixth day than what they were going to use on the Sabbath day. Now, here's what all that means. The Sabbath day, the seventh day, they had to trust God. He said he will provide. He's going to provide. They have to trust God. On the Sabbath day, the seventh day, they have to obey God. That's what he says. Don't go out and do what I didn't tell you to do. You have to obey God. And listen to this. And when they trusted God, and when they obeyed God, everything was taken care of. I want you to hear that again. When they trusted God, and when they obeyed God, everything was taken care of. Remember the question, what can we trust God with? Well, there's your answer. You know what, if you'll, if you'll trust God and you'll obey God, he'll take care of the rest. He will provide. That's what he teaches us. That's what he trains us. That's what he shows us in his faithfulness. Here's, here's the thing. Human instinct is to say, I'll take care of it. God says, I'll take care of it. He says, no, I'll take care of it. Human instinct is to say, I'll get more. God says, there's this much. No, I'll get, I'll get more than I need. I'll worry about more. That's human instinct. Here's the truth. If you will trust God and you will obey God, God will provide. I don't know. We were, we were talking about that this afternoon. We ought to remind each other of that. We forget that. We're just like those people that think, you know what, I don't remember how bad the bad was. I don't remember the great things God has done. We need to be sure and be reminded. If you will trust God and if you will obey God, God will provide. Sometimes we don't want to trust God. Sometimes we don't trust God. Here's a bigger deal. A lot of times we don't want to obey God. And he gives us his word. He tells us, gives us his truth. And we say, you know what? I'm not going to obey God. And then the wheels come off. Things fall apart. We end up in a wreck. And we walk around and say, I don't know what God's done. I don't know where God's at. I don't know how we ever got like this. Here's the model. Listen, if you trust God, he is trustworthy. If you will obey God, listen to me, God will provide. That is big. That is huge. Trust God. Obey God. God will provide. That's big, but I want to tell you something. It's even bigger than that. And I think that's big. That's big. It's even bigger than that. Watch this. Ultimately, this is pointing to Jesus. God is going to provide our Savior. And you know what? There's nothing you can do to add to it. There's nothing left undone that you need to add to it. You trust God for your Savior. Guess what God does? He provides your Savior. This whole thing is about Jesus. He was training his people. There's going to be a point when you're going to need a Savior. You are a sinner, and you need a Savior. And you know what? I will provide your Savior. Human instinct still says, you know what? I got something to do. I got to get on the church roll. I got to do these things. I got I to do all these things and impress God somehow. And God says this, there's nothing you can do. You trust me and I will provide your Savior. Here's what I take out of that. God's training his people. 
God's training his people. God's training his people. Ultimately this, he's training his people to look to Jesus. God always wanted people to be ready for Jesus. God always wanted people to look to him for their salvation. It's ultimately all about Jesus. All right, there's one last thing here, and it's just a bonus. That's the lesson. I think that's pretty awesome. I was working through that this afternoon thinking, this may be the awesome, most awesome lesson we've done in a while. You trust God. You obey God. He will provide. That's what he tells us. Learn to be content in Christ. In that, you're going to find the happiness, the joy that Christ intends. That's a tremendous lesson. But there's one last thing, and it's just a bonus, and, and that is this. All the way through this study, as we look at our verses, our question is this. Who is God showing himself to be in his word? And that's what this is. This is the revelation of God. He's showing us himself. He's telling us his character, who he is, through his word. And so the question is, who is God that we're seeing in his word? Well, tonight, who is God as we look at his word? Who do we see that he is? He has a name, Jehovah-Jireh. It means the Lord will provide. It more literally means the Lord provides. The Lord provides. If you go and you look it up in the actual Hebrew language, the original language, it actually means this. Jehovah Jireh actually translates to see or to provide. The Lord to see or to provide. Now, I, I thought this was pretty awesome Again, God is showing us his nature. Stay with me. We're about done. See this. Both of those things are necessary. He is the God who sees, and he's the God who provides. What if he saw but didn't provide? He sees you, and he sees your hurt, and he sees your need, but he doesn't provide. What if he was the God that sees, but he never provides? All right, let's go to the other side. What if he's the God that provides, but he never sees what you need? He doesn't know what you need. He's just providing things. And the things he provides, that's not the thing you need. You need a God. We need a God who sees and provides. He sees you need a Savior. Guess what he sends? Not a bank account full. He sends a Savior. He sees you're having trouble and you need provision in this thing. You know what he provides? The God who sees provides that thing. Both of those things are necessary. That's what we see in our God. Listen, we're going to end by saying this. Our God today, whoever you are, wherever, wherever you've been, however you got here, our God sees you and our God provides. And that is who our God is. What an awesome thing. Our God sees and our God provides. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'm going to leave some word of prayer. Let's pray. During Father, we come. And we praise you tonight. We thank you tonight. We're thankful for your word. That's truth. We're thankful that we see you through your word. I pray that tonight we didn't just come and hear a lecture. We just didn't come and grab some more information. But tonight we see you more clearly, that you are gracious to a grumbling people, that you are kind, that you're concerned about the smallest thing, and you're mighty enough to provide the biggest thing in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us with contentment, each of us here. Contentment in the good times and the bad times to just lean on and to trust Jesus. And Lord, I'm thankful that you're the God that sees and the God that provides. We take hope in that 
We exalt you as that God. And then, Lord, we come tonight and we end by saying, we praise you, we thank you, we love you. The God who sees, the God who provides. Again, as we leave here tonight, I pray that we've, we've encountered you, that we see you, that we know you, that your truth is now stacked a little bit higher inside of us as we've studied your, your word. I pray for our kids, for our youth learning, our other groups tonight as well, and I pray that you're pleased in all of it. Lord, we love you. And we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.